Okay, so we are continuing to talk about love this morning. Jesus loves me, this I know. Do you know that? Yeah. It's one thing to know that, though, and it's another thing to accept that. It's another thing to live that out, to walk that out. How do we love the way that He loves us? If we could just do that, we would truly, truly find ourselves in a different kind of world. We're going to look at the very, kind of the biggest scripture again today in a little bit more detail from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where it talks about love. And I might have some of the scripture a little out of order, but you'll find 1 Corinthians in the computer there. 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, kind of faith that would move a mountain, but have not love, I am, what's the word? Nothing without love. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body, my very self, right, up to be burned, but have not love, I gain what? Nothing. It's a key thing to remember today how important love is. We can do all kinds of great things, all kinds of stuff, say all the right things, do the right things, have the, the right mindset, but without love, it's worthless. It's worthless. And then God describes what love is. He says, this is what it's like. Okay, it's this, it's this multifaceted jewel, if you will, that you look at it and it looks different from every little angle. There's so many parts and pieces to it that fit together to form such beauty because love is really the, the highest characteristic of who God is. Okay, so here's a, here's a picture. Love is what? Love is patient and it's kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. That resentful section is where we typically hear in other passages, in other translations, there's no record of wrong. So there's no resentfulness. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And this translation says, love never ends. It's another facet of, it's a great reason to have an understanding of the original language in Greek, right? It's not just that it doesn't fail, it's that it never ends. It goes on and on and on. It continues. It never gives up. It never fails. It never, 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 never lets go. Great song. Never ends. But it says this, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. There's other kind of religious things that come with being a part of, being a follower of Jesus that are going to end. They're going to pass away. There's going to be no need for uh, tongues, it says. There's no further need for prophecy. You're not going to need a preacher eventually, okay? When Jesus comes back, when he returns, when things all get put back together, we don't need that anymore, right? 
We don't need speaking in tongues. We don't need prophecies. We don't need all these other kind of things. You're going to pass away the knowledge. You don't need, you don't, you're not going to need this anymore. You're not going to need to, to read the Word every day because we will be with the Word. We will be with God Himself. There are things that are passing away. And this is interesting. It says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, the stuff we understand from here, the Bible doesn't address everything in life. It helps us to, to navigate life, to understand life, but there's not and every little thing that we face. It doesn't talk about Xbox in here. What game should I buy? It's not in there. Okay? There's some policies and some principles and ways to live and things, right? But that's not in there. <clears throat> there's things we know in part. We prophesy in part. But it says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When Jesus comes back, the little things we know, that stuff is swallowed up. It's gone. This is interesting. This is where our focus is today. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Okay? I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. There are things that children do because they're immature that they say, that they think, that they reason. A child thinks that they can go over here to this speaker and stand behind it, and they are what? They're hidden. You can't see me. Right? Children think differently because they are immature. They talk differently because they don't know all the rest of the words and the vocabulary. They don't know some of the different words we know, and so they're growing up, they're maturing. And so this says, in the context of love, that it talks about immaturity. It talks about children, okay? And then it says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. <clears throat> For now, we see in a mirror dimly. We don't quite see everything, but then face to face with God when he comes. Now I know in part, I know a little bit, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. We live with those three things, faith, hope, and say the last one with me, love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Is love. Now it's interesting we start out in the scripture and it talks about nothing makes any sense, it doesn't matter, it doesn't work without love. It gives us a picture of what love is. And then it talks about maturity. One of the things I think is fascinating about this passage, basically what this is essentially saying is that mature Christians love. Mature Christians get it. You can point out a mature Christian from a mile away by this one thing, by how well they love. That's a mature believer. Mature believers know love well. You think of one person in your life that you know that you would consider a spiritual giant, if you will, and tell me they don't love well. See, there's people in churches all over the country that know a lot of stuff, they know a lot of this, but they don't love very well. They're not, 
Because if you don't love well, you're really not actually putting it into action. A mature believer is one who loves well. Because loving, truly loving the way that the Word teaches, the way that Jesus showed us, is difficult. It's not easy. It shows up because there's so many different ways that love shows up. Because when it describes what love actually is, and then you compare that with your life, I compare it with mine, and I see myself in the balance way too many times. I don't have this. I don't have this. Maybe this one part of the day I was there, I was in the sweet spot. But the rest of the day just stunk. Mature believers love well because there's some difficult things they have to do. If you can find this passage for me, I think I've got it in order now. Proverbs 15.1, just to give you some examples of why love is hard. <clears throat> it says in Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you been in that moment where you felt like you were completely in the rights, okay? And you could have easily said, could have like thrown down the mic, you know? But blah, 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 let me tell you, you know, and there it is. And you'd be in the right, with, or at least intellectually, with what you know, and you could just totally skewer that person with what you know. And what they did wrong, whatever it was, and you kind of drop the mic and walk away. But someone that loves, it's different. If you put that scripture back up in Proverbs 15, one says it's a soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath. When you have the opportunity to just get in a fight and win, but you instead bring a peaceful spirit, a loving spirit, it turns away wrath. You know in your lives that there's probably been some moments that you had a day where the day was going great and you had a choice to make that you could have, you could have fought or you could have given a soft answer, kind of let it blow by you. And because of the decision you made, the rest of the day sucked because you picked the fight. You chose anger. You chose the violent way over love. Another example of this kind of similar verse in Proverbs 19, verse 11. It says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A loving person, a mature person, overlooks things. Are you the kind of person that overlooks things? Or do you just use it as an opportunity? It's like kindling for a fire. You know? And, and I have those opportunities, again, every day, driving from here to work. This person cuts me off. This person does something stupid. This person, and I could point out example after example, even on the way here. Do we overlook it's to your glory to overlook. Your kids say something, your spouse says something to you that just gets under your skin. And, and, and depending on how you respond in that moment, could set the tone for the rest of the day, right? Do you overlook? 
It is to your glory to overlook an offense. Because what's greater? If you love that person, and if you would just let it go, right? The freedom, the joy, the love that's expressed. It's the old illustration we've used of how do you catch a monkey. <clears throat> do you remember this? How they take monkeys and they, they take coconuts that are, that are carved out and they put something shiny in there and the monkey reaches in and he grabs a hold of the shiny rock or whatever's in there, right? And, and the coconut's tied to a rope. Now, when the monkey sees someone coming to get the coconut, he could easily let go, pull out his hand and go. But because his fist is closed and wrapped around something that he can't let go of, he refuses to let go of, he gets pulled away and taken and captured because you cannot let it go. Mature believers are, are great at love. Now, let's, let's see why. Here's, here's just a couple of things in, in Scripture in 1 Corinthians that we were looking at. We could go all the way through that list, and today's not going to be a list day. But in that, that passage of Scripture, a couple of things to point out. One of the hardest things I think of is patience. A mature believer loves well at patience. Because patience, and it, and it comes up in a couple of different ways in 1 Corinthians, bearing all things, enduring all things, Right? It holds on. It's, it's, it's no matter what is going on, there's that patience. And you, could, you could say all kinds of things against me over and over and over and over again or do the same stupid, dumb things over and over and over again, but that patience keeps you strong, right? To be someone that loves well, you have to have patience, and that's difficult. It's really difficult. Different people, what? They try our patience. Sometimes our children try our patience. Driving in traffic every day tries my patience. My day, unfortunately, is sometimes set by my, 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 my 30 minutes to 40 minutes or more of travel on the way in. Where's the patience? Mature believers love well when it comes to patience. The other thing I think that's really hard in this list is that resentfulness, that not keeping the list of wrongs. Because that's what we do with someone or with people. We have this running tally, right? And it begins to kind of well up within us. It begins to fester and it begins to grow. And no matter, because of that, what that person does, even if there are good moments, that resentfulness comes out. And it's this bitter poison that just literally gets worse and worse. But someone that loves well, a mature believer, has that patience, and they are not resentful. They throw those things away. Again, it's part of that letting go thing because they are choosing love over resentfulness. You're choosing love over that poison. This, this desire we have to be right or to be in control or, or to be prideful of things ruins our lives. Mature Christians love well couple of people I was thinking of that are not mature Christians that we read about in Scripture, Jonah, right? Jonah knew all kinds of stuff. He was a prophet. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He runs away the opposite direction. <clears throat> the rest of the book is just him whining to God. And God's patience with Jonah, even, is incredible. 
you would just think he would just take Jonah, pick him up, and flick him off the screen somewhere. Jonah, what is your deal? The Pharisees, right? They knew lots of stuff. They knew all the details, but the knowledge doesn't matter. Knowledge does not equate for love. The use of that knowledge in a loving manner makes a huge, huge difference. Mature Christians love well. Now, again, just sharing that is just a bit of knowledge. Knowing that what I just said, the mature Christians love well, doesn't do anything, you knowing that. We have to take action, okay? We cannot stay the way that we are. We are called to be mature believers. We're going to look at Ephesians 4. I want to, I want to show you this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, we're going to take a look at why I'm saying that. Okay. Ephesians 4 <coughs> says, Paul is speaking here, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, now Rainy and I were joking earlier. She was like, you know, Lance, you seem kind of grumpy this morning. And then she said, Pastor. Right? What, is, what, what was that? That was... Hey, Lance, live in a manner worthy of your calling. You got the title pastor? You better live like a pastor, right? Hey, you work at a dentist's office. How are your teeth? Let's, let's see your beautiful smile. Yeah. If, if you don't have clean teeth, everyone's like, I'm not going to her practice. As believers, though, right? Live in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Christian. 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 Christian, 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 Christian. And Beth back there, Christian. You're like, if someone didn't get called that, they're like really concerned right now. Pastor, don't think I'm a believer. Christian, that means something, doesn't it? Or does it not? Live in a manner worthy of being called a Christian. Christian, what's the first part of that? Christ. Christ follower. It's not just an adjective. It's a name. It's a noun. It's a thing. It's a person. Live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You, we, we can't just look at 1 Corinthians and say, this is what love is, and then be like, oh, that's great. I got the list down in the head. That's wonderful. Live. The Bible's telling us, Jesus says, it's one thing to know it, but I'm, I'm telling you, you have to live this way. Live in that manner. It says, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, <clears throat> eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain peace. I think about that in these situations we've mentioned. I'm not eager to maintain peace in traffic. I just want to get to work. You think about that. Who's that become about? It becomes about me. Get out of my way. Isn't that how we live life in different ways too? I want something. Diane and I, every time after church, we're going to go eat. It's always going to be Mio's for her. Okay? And then I remember oh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not insist on its own way. No, 
You're not going to Mio's. I insist that we're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. I want some wangs, okay? It doesn't insist on its own way. Our, is our desire for ourselves, is our desire peace, because peace is a part of love. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's this unity that's expressed here. Unity only happens when love is there. Love is a foundation for that kind of unity. <clears throat> in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it goes on. And it says, he's talking about the gifts that he's given all of us as a church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to what? Mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are supposed to grow up. We're supposed to be mature believers. Our theme can never be the Toys R Us theme of old. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid, if you ever heard that, right? Some of you are like, I have no idea. You know, the teenagers are like, you have to grow up. Mature believers love well. We don't get to, to hide from that. Because as a church, it says we are to grow up into the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We, children are small, and they get pushed around, Okay? Because they're children. Children can be convinced of silly things because they don't know a lot of stuff, right? They can believe, hopefully you guys are okay with this, that Santa Claus isn't real. You're like, what are you talking about? I can't believe you just said that. What? They, you know, but mature believers understand what's real and, oh, gosh, Mally, I hope you covered her ears over there. She's taking a nap, right? Okay. I'm going to get in trouble later. I can already feel it. <clears throat> Mature believers don't get, don't get pushed around by things that are not true. No matter what the world says is okay and is not okay and is, the foundation says, well, what does God say? Right? No, they're not going to be emotionally manipulated by other people because they're mature believers. They know what the Word of God says. They live it out. And it says this, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up. Say that with me. We're to what? Grow up in every way into Him. It's talking about Jesus, who is the head. Into Christ, from whom the whole body, talking about the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working, what? Properly. Makes the body grow. When every part is working properly, it makes the body grow. And how is it growing? So that it builds itself up in what? In love. In love. 
builds itself up in love. And when we consider what the Bible says love is, we're not talking about Hollywood love. We're not talking about goo-goo eyes. We're talking about, wow, here's a group of people that are patient, that are kind, that don't keep records of wrong. They're, they're, this is a group of people that look more like Jesus than, than anybody else I've seen because they are growing up, they're maturing, and they look and act in a loving way. They look like Jesus. That's who we're called to be. Mature Christians love well. They're, they're, we are called to mature. We can't just sit still. <clears throat> the thing is, how does that happen? Okay? And, and as you sit there and, and you, if you're like me and you consider your life and you think, well, how do I change? You know, I've tried. Every stinking day in traffic I try. You know, or this other person, no matter what, they continue to get under my skin. You know, what do we do? How do we love? So let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 through 21. It says that we love because he first loved us. He who? He, Jesus. He, God. Yes, he loved us first. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. You can't say you love God and then you hate your brother. This is the person right in front of you, right? Lance, it's the car right in front of you. You say you love God, but you hate your brother? Now, this is talking specifically about believers, okay? But you can't say you love God and then not love the people that are around you, particularly other believers in Christ. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But first of all, we love because he first loved us is the point. Jesus set the example. How do we learn then? How do we grow? Well, usually it begins with observation. We learn things from watching others. We learn love from watching love expressed. Who's the greatest example that we can see love from, of course? It's Jesus. What's so incredible about the fact is that we didn't just, just have the Word of God to read, but Jesus literally came in the flesh. God came and showed us how to live the kind of life that he was talking about to the point of his own sacrifice for us <clears throat> on the cross. There's all kinds of stories of the love of Christ. If you've already been reading through the Bible in a year, you've seen that. Right? You've seen the things that Jesus has done. Just to give you a couple examples, I think about his love expressed in, in, in overcoming this hatred that the Jewish people had for the Samaritans. Samaritans were, were considered to the Jews half-breeds. They weren't quite Jewish. They were, they were this in-between group, and they, and they hated them. But yet, do you see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, which is another strike against him, you know, talking to women at that time, too, was just, you know, you just didn't do that as a rabbi, as a teacher. So he's talking to the Samaritan woman and actually spends two days in their town. And everyone's wondering, why, why are you here? You're supposed to hate us. Yet Jesus shows love and compassion. He shows forgiveness. 
to the adulterous woman. Amazing story where this lady is, is brought into the, to the, the temple. It's in like the equivalent of church right in the middle and say, hey, Jesus, what do you want us to do with her? We caught her in the very act. Everyone's got their stones ready to throw. The Bible says, you know, if you're an adulteress, that you should be stoned. And Jesus says what? Let the first person without sin cast the first stone. I think about that that verse in Proverbs that might have been on Jesus' mind even then that says it is to his glory to overlook what? An offense. Don't forget about it already. Even Proverbs, right? Because really, everyone in that room except for one, Jesus, was sinful. They all deserved to be stoned. But they dropped their rocks and they went away and there she is standing and Jesus says, no one condemned you? And she says, no, and neither do I, but go and sin no more. The love that he showed, that forgiveness and grace is incredible. Then you got a guy named Zacchaeus, who's a chief tax collector. Truly hated because he was taking not just taxes for Rome, but these guys had the power and authority to just take whatever they want. Let's say you owed up, you know, $1,000 in taxes for the year for Rome, okay, whatever that equivalent would have been, I don't know. 1000 bucks. he says, all right, pay $2,000 to me or you're going to jail. They know they only owe 1000 but he has the power to just collect whatever he wants, so the tax collectors in that way were hated. But Zacchaeus one day, short, probably fat, who knows, tax collector, right, climbs this tree to get a, pic- to get a good look at Jesus, but his whole mentality because of Jesus has changed. He says, you know what, Jesus, if I owe anybody, I will pay them back four times as much. I'm gonna, from this point on, things are different and change. Jesus says, today you're gonna, we're going to hang out together, Zacchaeus. Lunch at your house. And the Pharisees are like, how could he be hanging out with a sinner? Jesus' love goes beyond what everyone else would be, would be offering judgment towards someone like that. What does Jesus say when he's, when he's on the cross? <clears throat> when, when everyone's hurling insults upon him. Jesus actually says to God, Father, you probably know this phrase, say it with me if you know it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Jesus' attitude. So if you want to see how to love well, look at what Jesus does. And be like Jesus. You'll find all the way throughout Scripture different passages saying that we are to be like Jesus, to live like he lived. I think one of the biggest things, though, that, that is important for us to realize is this. Jesus is talking to, this, to the disciples, and he's getting ready to ascend to the Father. And you got these disciples who are thinking, well, what are we supposed to do now? How are we supposed to continue to mature? How are we to grow? How, what are we, what's next? And Jesus doesn't just leave them alone. This is something we don't talk a lot about, that we don't understand very well, that we need to realize is true, and that's, that's this. Let's look at some passages here. John 14, 26. It says, but Jesus is speaking. He says, but the helper, the what? Say it. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all <clears throat> that I have said to you. You want to know how we're going to become loving? It's obviously by observations, by, by seeing what Jesus did, but it's by the Holy Spirit who Jesus has given to us. It says that he will, he will teach us all things. I'm, we're going to shotgun some, some scripture, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit does what? Helps us in our what? In our weakness. Anybody weak? When it comes to loving people and being patient and, and struggling with any kind of issue, okay, who's there to help us? The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I love this. How many of y'all stink at prayer? Or your heart is just so burdened you don't even know what to say? You ever been there? You just don't have the words? Maybe you, all you know what to do is just to sigh and to grunt. Raise your hand if you've been in that place. We all have. I don't know what to do. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's on a, it's on a level beyond words. It's deeper than the words. It's that connection that we have to God through the Holy Spirit. That's it's incredible. So we have, he's, he's called a, our helper, okay? It says that he helps us in our weaknesses, okay? And sometimes we don't grasp this, but I want you to see this intellectually too and know this, that we have the Holy Spirit within us. We all have it as believers in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, and Peter said to them, he's preaching. He's out there telling people about Jesus, and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. That's what we talk about when we talk about being saved and being believers, is that, whoo, we're forgiven. But we forget about the second part as well sometimes. It says, and you will receive the gift of what? Of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the helper. You have the one that gives us strength in our weakness. In John 14, again, verses 15 through 17, Jesus is talking. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do you know you love Jesus? You do the things he tells you to do. Just like when you ask your kids to do something. Okay? Where Diane says, you please pick up some milk on the way home. I just want to come home. But no, I do what she asks, asks me to do because why? I love her. If I didn't love her, I wouldn't do it. So get your own milk. Oh, wait a minute, it's going to be ours too. But I love her. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another what? Helper to be with you Forever. Even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he what? Say that word real quick and loud. He dwells. What does it mean to dwell? It means to live. The Holy Spirit lives with you, dwells with you, and will be what? In you. 
It's not just me saying it. It's the Word of God saying He's in you. What does that mean, right? He's our helper. He's there in times of weakness. So the question then becomes sometimes, why ain't it working? You thinking that? That's not spiritual to say that, right? We haven't got the Holy Spirit. Something, you know, why isn't it working? Something's wrong. Let me tell you why it's not working. It's kind of like having some really great technology. We've got these speakers. We've got, you know, this this projector here. Hold out your phone if you got a phone this morning. Okay, yeah, those phones are are only good if they've been plugged in, right? They've been charged up. The TV don't work if it ain't plugged in. Just doesn't work. All the stuff's right, all the stuff's there, but if it's not plugged in, if it's not connected, if it's not charged up, if the light switch isn't turned on, you know, what's the most common problem, you know, believe it or not, with the techies deal with with computer issues, you know, like, you know, <laughs> it's not plugged in. Like, and you're like, you know, you see someone smack in the forehead. Here's that version of that when it comes to the Spirit. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. We're gonna, almost done. Jesus says, or, or Paul is saying in Galatians, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Holy Spirit has the, the proper desires within you. It's opposed to what the fleshly side, the sinful side, if you will, wants to do. You have to walk in the Spirit. Let me, let me give you another example of that. We're going to continue in Galatians chapter 5, but look at verse 25. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you read Galatians 5, it talks about being in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it says, is within us. It lives within us. But if we are not listening to it, if we're not doing what God says to do, if we're not in step with it, then we are not plugged in. Does that make sense? It's kind of like, well, what do I do in this situation? Is this right or wrong? And we know what the Lord says. We choose to do elsewhere. We still choose to do what we want to do. The Holy Spirit is there. The power of God is there, but we have to submit to it. We have to be in step with it. We have to walk side by side with the Holy Spirit. It, it, it makes me think about our, our, our dog, Brady. Our dog, Brady, is this little, little Shih Tzu dog, okay? He's a big dust mop, essentially. He's nothing but hair and, and ears. And the thing about Brady is you can, you can put a collar on him and you can you know, put the, the whole thing and try to take him for a walk. But if this is Brady, the little speaker here, and I start to go, 
I'm going to get so far, and he doesn't like to walk. I would have to be literally dragging him, and he would just be this little dust mop just pulling behind me. You know, one of the greatest frustrations of trying to learn how to walk a dog, usually it's the opposite. The dog's running way ahead. And we're like, whoa, slow down. Brady's, I'm dragging him. Walking in step means that you are side by side. That you're never ahead of the Holy Spirit or behind the Holy Spirit. But make no mistake this morning as you sit there, as a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But we're not plugged in unless we're walking in step with Him. We're listening. If we find ourselves listening and obeying to what God says, you'll be surprised the power that you experience when you're willing to submit to what He has to say. A couple more verses and we're done. <coughs> I want you to understand the power of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts 1, 8 says this, But you will receive what? Say that again. You will receive what? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, this is amazing. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we already know what He's talking about. He's talking about what? What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. After He died on the cross, on the third day, the Holy Spirit is the one that rose Jesus from the dead. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also do what? Give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in us. Last verse. Remember, we're talking about love this morning, right? Talking about being mature believers. And mature believers love well. How do we do it? By the Spirit of God. And in Romans 5, verse 5, a great verse to end on, it says this, <clears throat> And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I want you to dwell on that today. This is one of those things you just can't be like, oh, great. You think about it. It involves prayer. It involves, Lord, if your spirit is within me, help me to listen. Help me to stop. Help me to slow down. Ask the Lord for that strength. See, we, we've been 
kind of used to doing things so much on our own, trying to do things in our own effort. We don't know what it feels like anymore to let the Holy Spirit take charge. And it's, it's really kind of dumb. We have access to all the power of God, and yet we say, oh, I'm good. It's like someone that chooses to, to sweep their house with an old-school broom when they have a vacuum cleaner. Uh, I can do it. There's a lot of effort involved, right? Getting your hip, man-made effort. We'll, we'll get all that dirt together and this kind of thing when literally it could be done with power. Not just any power, but the power of God. A lot of this, it just, it cannot be an intellectual pursuit. If we're going to love well, if we're going to be mature believers, we have to daily stop. We've got to talk to the Lord. We've got to pray. We have to be taught again how to access God's power, how to let God work through us. Can't be intellectual. If we're going to be mature believers that love well, we've got to continually go back to the source. I just want you to leave with this. I want to encourage you to just simply ask God this week to teach you what it means to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. He's there. According to Scripture, He's there. Not like we don't have the ability. It's like we don't have the power. The Bible just said, if you believe it's true, that he poured, just dumped all the love of God in our hearts. It's there. One final illustration, Shelby is <coughs> telling you she's been playing volleyball, Right? All you ever hear from, from coaches, right, is about the potential that's there. This kid's got great potential. No matter what team you're on, you hear all that kind of stuff, right? Well, yesterday, Shelby showed that. It came out in a huge way with, like, she single-handedly had 21 points out of the 25 to win one of her matches yesterday. They kept trying to, to throw her off rhythm and stop her serves by calling timeouts and all this kind of stuff. But just 21, shoom, and you're like, this is little Shelby. We have to believe the Word of God. And if we believe the Word of God, we believe what we just read. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. The power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is there when we feel like we cannot be patient, when we feel like we cannot love, when we feel like we cannot wait one more moment, when we feel like we are just going to lash out and be right. When we, we don't feel like we can throw away that list of things that someone's done against us and we hold on to resentfulness. We can't forgive. We can't, we can't move on. We can't let go. We can't. 
the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within us. Would you stand with me? Lord, we don't always understand how it works, but Lord, we know it's true. Lord, we simply ask that you would teach us what it means to let your Holy Spirit empower us, to give us the strength, the power, the ability to be mature believers, to love the way you've called us to love. Lord, today we trust in you. Lord, show us, Lord, this week a taste, if you will, of that power, a taste of what it means, Lord, to trust in you and just to see you work within us, to see ourselves loving in a way we've never seen before. Like, how, where did that come from? Because that person annoys me. Lord, change us. Let your spirit have complete and full control of our lives, Lord, that we look and we act and we please you, that we look like you in every way, we love like you in every way. Lord, there's such joy found there. So, Lord, we thank you for that, and, Lord, we thank you so much for the love that you continually show us. We trust you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said Amen.